At Fidelity, value is automatic, starting with the rate you can get on your cash when you open a new retail brokerage account. Learn more at fidelity.com slash trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, and show you what this all means. Put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Why does the market keep plummeting? Dow sinking another 546 points today. S&P plunged 2.06. NASDAQ lost 1.25% when the big picture data about the economy is supposedly so darned good. There are two ways to approach this kind of issue. You can take the macro or top-down view, where you're looking at big aggregates. Or you can take the micro or bottoms-up view, where you listen to individual companies and piece together their comments into a kind of mosaic. Right now, there's a ton of tension between the macro and the micro. The Federal Reserve cares about the macro. They're looking at unemployment, wage growth, anything that tells them about the totality of the economy. And based on that, our new Fed chief, Jerome Powell, has concluded the business is so strong that without a problem, it can handle a series of lockstep rate hikes well into 2019. We already got a map to hell. I mean, that's how confident this man is. But the micro or my bottoms up analysis arrived at by talking to dozens of CEOs and reading scores of company conference calls and presentations. The micro it makes me think that the economy's already peaked. Let me give you an example. This morning, we interviewed my old partner, Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor. He told us a glorious story about a booming economy, a smashing success boosted by the tax cuts and deregulation. That's the top-down view, and it's extremely rosy. But I slipped right back into my old role from Kudlow and Kramer, where I'd approach things from the bottoms up. That's the way the show worked. I make my call, speak to executives, to workers, directors, corporate boards, pretty much anybody I can to glom on as much information with the goal of cobbling together a better forecast for the next three to six months than the aggregate data might lead you to believe. My view, what Larry said has been true. Notice has, has been true. But I fear it's no longer true and will only get worse which is why I agree with President Trump that the Fed needs to tighten less aggressively, even as he probably shouldn't have said those nasty things in public, because he's making it harder, not easier, for Jerome Powell to give him what he wants, because Powell has to exert, yes, the independence of the Fed. It's hard to do when the president's hammering him every day. Now, the, the macro guys will tell you that my approach... They damn me with faint praise. My approach is anecdotal, not empirical. I mean, it's just a bunch of disconnected stories that don't really mean anything, even when taken together. I think that's misleading. An anecdotal argument would be something like if I told you, hey, you know what? We sell a lot of Corona at Bar San Miguel, my joint in Brooklyn. And so, therefore, Corona must be a huge seller for Constellation Brands, STZ. Hey, so we should all go buy the stock of Constellation Brands. That's what I call a bogosity. Sure, Corona sells well at my place, uh, but what about every other bar? Now, when you're making an anecdotal argument, it means you haven't done the homework. But what if you talk to every bar in America? Well, then you got empirical data. As far as I'm concerned, that's the best way to go because it's the only way where you're familiar with the facts on the ground, which I think really matters. And when you look at the economy empirically right now, you start to see real problems. So let's go over the list of everything that's slowed. 
that has slowed, okay, and in some cases slowed dramatically, because this is what has me worried. Hey, by the way, as someone who wants stocks to go higher, and you know that because I want people to be wealthier, it would be great if the White House actually acknowledged some of this weakness. You can't say the economy's great, but also the Fed shouldn't tighten. See, it's got to be one or the other. But before we get into that, let's simply lay out the facts. First, we've had a definitive slowdown in the auto industry, and it's going to get worse. We know that because PPG, which makes the paint for so many luxury cars, among others, just told us that this week in a hideous pre-announcement. It was immediately followed up by a stupendously bad pre-announcement by Trinzio, a company that makes chemicals that end up in cars, trucks, tires, among a whole host of other goods, including consumer products. My sources within the auto industry are good, and the auto parts businesses are good, too. And they're telling me that this was a particularly bad month, as was September. That, that's empirical. It's ugly. Second, housing is either pausing or down for the count. I can't tell, but neither could. Again, we know this because it's what Lenar, the largest home builder in America, told us. Lenar is its pulse on every market, empirical, not anecdotal. I've been following Lenar from the old days of Leonard Miller, whose account I was, glad, was happy to be able to work on when I was at Goldman Sachs. So we're talking about 30 years of following Lenar and knowing how right they are. Third, many people who were clued into the data tell me that Micron, the big commodity chip maker whose stock was up today, is still not doing well. I'm not sure I agree, but if they're right, then that's worrisome for the whole semiconductor complex because Micron chips touch pretty much every phase of technology. Fourth, my favorite leading indicator in the world has always been, even in 87, the liner board figures. That's the corrugated stuff that you use to make packaging containers. What you get when you get some FedEx stuff, when you get stuff from Amazon. Nothing tells you about the state of the economy better than boxes. Pop sold liner board for years, and we always knew there was a slowdown coming when he had to cut price to move corrugated. Usually we knew before anybody else. They have a price list. It was going down. That's what's happening right now, which is why international paper keeps plummeting. It's hitting a new 52-week low pretty much every day. You know, it only sports a 4.7% yield today. Fifth, the stocks of the chemical companies are getting killed, annihilated here, because the chemicals that make up the basic building blocks of plastic, they're not moving. That's construction. At the same time, the rising price of oil has pressured their margins in a hideous way. Empirical. And ugly. Six, while the rails, they're not just, you know, I would not say that the rails are coming off the rails. But in the last few weeks, they have noticed a serious deceleration in car loads. Now, we always have to stay close to the rails. Commerce is all about transportation. This is not a good sign. It's why Union Pacific, Norfolk Southern, why the stock's been going down. Seventh, the luxury goods market has been smacked because of weakness in Japan and China. I've made a bunch of checks in this industry, and I can tell you that China's really cracked down on daigu, meaning those who import luxury goods. We're really only used to the Chinese being rapacious consumers of Western products. Suddenly, it's the opposite. Could the Chinese market be, uh, let's say, um, slowing big? Or is it simply closing itself to imports? Either scenario is terrible for the global economy that clamors for that gigantic market. Number eight, in many parts of the country, construction has become prohibitively expensive because of the rising costs, yes, of steel. Hey, that's the trouble with tariffs. Barry Sternlich, the CEO of Starwood Property Trust, told us right here last night uh, that this is happening. Since he's the largest non-bank lender in the space, we need to take him seriously. It sounds like there's going to be less construction because the costs are too high. Ninth Floor, the gigantic engineering construction company, pre-announced a, a miserable quarter last night. Now, I know the main culprits were some cost overruns for hard-to-make projects, but I also came away thinking that business has just gotten weaker. It makes me wonder what happens when we anniversary all the goodwill and the tax cuts six months from now and there's not a big infrastructure program. Finally, there's Sears. 
we always use the term iconic. It's a real, uh, let's just say, well, it's true, but we haven't, a lot of people haven't gone there in a long time. But this iconic retailer and its doppelganger, Kmart, may shut down as early as Monday. I mean, like, close. That's more than 80,000 employees. This brings me back to Starwood Property Trust. Not only do they do financing, they also own malls. And Barry Sternley told us that JCPenney may need to restructure. 100,000 people work there. I don't expect a Sears-style liquidation from Penny. They've got a lot of profitable stores. But there won't be anywhere near as many employees working there if this pace keeps up. And, and Christmas isn't so merry. So we consider all these industries that have been slowing. I, you know, I've covered a lot of them. When you recognize that my arguments are anything but anecdotal, but they're empirical, then you start to see some patterns. The Fed is thinking about how things are right now, or more accurately, how they were last month. Last month, I'm more concerned about where they're going to be. And it's not a positive direction. If the Fed cares about the data, I'm happy to share it with them. To me, it says maybe we need one more rate hike. Maybe we don't. And then they can sit tight for a while, see how things play out. Is that so unreasonable? Unfortunately, the Fed's using a snapshot to gauge the strength of the economy rather than getting its hands dirty by doing some homework. That reminds me. I'll be opining on this homework and much more tonight in CNBC Special Report, Market Sell-Off. Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen will be hosting. Stay tuned after Med Money for all of your insight. Oh, and I know there'll be some wags and some cynics out there who'll say, oh, well, that's going to mark the bottom. Well, hey, listen, you feel that way? Listen, then come. Watch. I got some ideas. Maybe you want to buy them. All right, so here's the bottom line. I'm not saying the Fed's going crazy, that it's going loco. I don't think it's going crazy at all. I think it's going lazy. It's a shame. I would like to be positive, but I have to settle for being constructive. And my empirical work says that I can't be sanguine until everyone knows what I know and just told you. But for now, our central bank seems to want to repeat history. And all I can say is... They know nothing! Mitchell in Tennessee, Mitchell. Hello. After hitting a new 52-week low in today's sell-off, is Noel Brands finally oversold? Uh, I was doing some work on Noel Brands today. Literally. I mean, it's very funny to say that because I did about an hour's work on it. And uh, it yields 5%. It's selling a lot of pro- It's selling a huge number of products right now, um, uh, product lines to raise money. Uh, but it's not doing well. So I can't recommend a stock that's not doing well just because it has a good yield. Can I go to uh, buy Starwood property at 9% yield? Can I go to Otto in Florida, please? Otto. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I have a two-company question. I own Tesla and NEO with a, with a tax credit bill elimination in office. Will that affect te- Tesla's sales and value? And with NEO, the China's Tesla, do you think with big investors investing, does NEO have any value? Well, I am totally against investing in anything in China right here. We are, are in a war with China. It's an economic war, but we are in war with them. And Tesla is a cold stock. If you want to own it, bless you. If you want to short it, bless you. Me, all I can say is it's too hard. And sometimes it's okay to just say, that one's too hard for me. They know nothing. I would hate for a repeat. But is the Fed going lazy? What a shame. Oh, man, money tonight. Tech is agonizing here, but is it worth searching among the rubble? I'll give you my take. Then I'm opening the phone lines. We're going to go through this brutal action together. That's how we always get through it. And look where the market's going since we started. And the market may seem sour, but could IFF, that's International Flavors and Fragrance, sweeten your portfolio's performance after being a more than 100-year-old company that's done so well? we got to talk to them. I'm going to sit down with the CEO. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I'm opening up the lines to hear from you, the voices of America, because it's an uncertain time. I want to talk to you. Mr. Kramer, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely, positively fantastic. Thanks for helping us not panic in times like this. The average investor, which we all know and love, you cater to us, and we appreciate that for all you teach us. I am not going anywhere. You shouldn't either. We will get through this together. Kramer has your back. Call 1-800-743-CNBC, and let's take on the market together. We're going to figure this out. We'll puzzle it over, and we'll make it so that we're all smarter. At Fidelity, we work to get you a better price for every trade. See how much we saved investors last year at fidelity.com slash price improvement. Fidelity Brokered Services, member NYSE SIPC. This sell-off, I admit, horrifying. The averages have crumbled like the French army in 1940. Dow and S&P plunging over 3% yesterday, another 2% today. But the worst damage is in the Nasdaq, which plummeted more than 4% yesterday and 1.25% today. And that's not bad, by the way. That's the right trajectory. But everyone's turned off by the tech stocks. Now it's all people want to talk about is how bad they are. And this sell-off just, it, it, it rained on the just and the unjust alike. Netflix has shed 9.7% over the last two days. Amazon. My favorite and large position for my travel trust has dropped 8.1%. Salesforce, Mark Benioff, lost 6.2%. You know, the company's doing well. Alphabet gave up 4.2%. Now, that is some serious pain. What made this particularly jarring, though, is that there wasn't an obvious reason why tech should get hit so much harder than the rest of the market. It's not like these companies suddenly started doing much worse than expected. We were out of Dreamforce, right? I mean, I got the pulse every day of the company. I know it's doing well, but that thing... So tonight, I want to give you my tech damage assessment. Really step back. I know because this is what you want to hear. I want to help you understand what happened, explain what to do next. First, the incredible weakness in tech has much more to do with the mechanics of the money management business than what's necessarily happening at a Salesforce or an Amazon. Many of these stocks were up dramatically for the year. And when you get this kind of pullback, it typically does more damage to the winners. Especially it's October. People like to take profits. People are justifiably nervous about giving back their gains, too. And they have some outsized ones, particularly the big growth managers. And when they see this kind of sell-off, they sell hand over fist so they don't lose their year. When you survey the wreckage, you'll see that pretty much everything in the technology space got, got slammed. FANG, our acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, and Alphabet, dropped more than 5% yesterday. And today, some of that went, fell further. Thanks to the recent weakness, these stocks have come down dramatically from their highs earlier this year, anywhere from 14% to 30%. Both Facebook and Netflix are officially in bear market territory now. Notice Facebook actually held up pretty well today. And I have to tell you something. Facebook seems to want to do better. And that's because of, uh, my checks say that the advertising business for uh, Instagram has really held up, just so you know. I'm not saying pull the trigger, but I'm saying that there's some good news there. But if you really want to understand the extent of the damage that we're looking at in tech, I want you to consider how much value has been lost just in the fang news. Facebook has shed $32 billion in market cap. That's since the end of September. Netflix has lost $23 billion. Alphabet's off $80 billion. Amazon's down $138 billion. That's a massive amount of value destruction in less than two weeks. It's also confidence. It's confidence shaking. And the Fed should take notice of the fact, because it does hurt the wealth effect in people's minds. 
other favorites that we like, the Cloud Kings, for instance, they've been annihilated. Now, if you remember last month, I started telling you, you got to, this group was due for a pullback. It got too hot. But the market's biggest winners tend to get punished in September and October. As much as we believe in the transformative power of the cloud, we also know that red-hot stocks can't keep going up in a straight line forever. But I wasn't expecting this kind of hammering. On average, Adobe, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Red Hat, Splunk, VMware, and Workday, all great companies, saw their stocks plunge by more than 5% yesterday. And they're now they're down 13% since the beginning of October. Just since the beginning of October. All right, how about the cloud princes, the smaller, fast-growing players like Coupa, Tableau, Software, HubSpot, New Relic, Okta, and Atlassian? Well, they weren't spared either. They were 5.6% on average yesterday, and they shed more than 18% so far this year. I mean, just this month, 18% this month. I mean, these are remarkable moves. Again, four weeks ago, I told you that these cloud princesses could potentially sell off dramatically, but I also said that they'd be worth buying in a weakness. So are they worth buying? Or do we need to get more cautious now that the environment's suddenly gotten a lot more negative? Meanwhile, the semiconductor stocks, well, I've got to tell you, they've been the worst, and they've been obliterated. When you look at the 66 information technology stocks in the S&P 500, more than half of them, more than half, come down more than 10% in October. So what the heck is going on here? First, it's not just that these tech stocks have large gains, making them obvious targets for profit-taking, or that the software names in particular probably never should have been so high to begin with. There's also a legitimate fundamental reason why tech has suddenly fallen out of favor on the Wall Street fashion show. Suddenly, everybody's worried about inflation, and inflation is brutal on growth stocks. Many of these formerly turbocharged technology companies are expected to earn vast sums of money if you just look out a few years. But how do you value a dollar of earnings power in, say, 2022? Because inflation erodes the purchasing power of a dollar, you're going to pay less for growth stocks when you expect more inflation. That's one of the reasons why, look, I don't, I'm not trashing Jay Powell. There is inflation, but, you know, this is one. I, want, I don't want your purchasing power to be eroded, but that's causing these stocks to go down. Well, second, we've also heard rumblings in the industry that things have actually gotten appreciably worse in the last couple of weeks. We know there was a supply glut for the commodity semiconductor makers like Western Digital and Micron. But now people are starting to wonder about the higher quality proprietary chip makers like AMD and NVIDIA which is why we sold NVIDIA for my charitable trust earlier this month. Since the auto industry is getting crushed, any semiconductor play with serious auto exposure that's probably diversified to that from not being just in cell phones because they weren't growing, well, those companies are in trouble. The problems there are real. Third, people are panicking. And in a panic, investors sell first and ask questions later. With all of these tech stocks bundled together into these various ETFs that you always hear about, it's more likely a sell everything and ask questions later. All right, so there. There's the history of the sell-off, and you know how brutal it is. But what do we do? More importantly, now that the market's severely oversold and these stocks have all been thrown away, is it time to go bottom fishing in tech, which you know I have not suggested yet? Just a little bit nibble today. But now I've got some names. If you want to pick among the rubble, you need to take your emotions out of the equation. You need to be clinical. You need to be rigorous. You need to be empirical, as we said at the top of the show. What does that mean? Okay, I want you to take a deep breath, do some yoga even, and I, I can do like a plank. I learned about that. And set some downside targets. Find a predetermined level where you think your favorite tech stocks would be worth buying and then wait for them to come to you. We're going to call this the hunt for red October because it's a great movie. And we're searching for stocks that are so far in the red that they've become attractive here. And I've got some. These are ones I've done a lot of work on. I don't go into them big because I wanted to give you a little bit of history and context, but we can do more work. 
When I looked over the hardest hit names in the NASDAQ 100, seven stocks immediately jumped out at me that I had done a lot of work on and I like. Uh, Autodesk, which we've done two pieces on, including an apology that's, that I, I missed the last big run-up. IDEX, IDEX Laboratories, okay? Pet, humanization of pets. Amazon, self-explanatory. Take-Two Interactive. Red Dead 2 comes out real soon. Intuitive Surgical, just got a good read on their business. It's very strong. Expedia, that's a turnaround. And Intuit has been our favorite name in taxes. These are high-quality growth stocks that are all riding powerful secular trends. Yet their stocks are down anywhere from 11 to 16% just for October. And I think you can start picking up. Pick one. One that you're comfortable with, one that you know, maybe you've used Expedia, maybe you've played a game for Take-Two, maybe you have pets like I do, and IDEX is so important, Amazon, we all know. I once did a fundraiser at a local hospital that showed off how the DaVinci machine worked. It was terrific. Into it, we use their stuff at Bar San Miguel. I feel really trapped. You know, in other words, personal experience dictate a lot of this, and then I look at it, except for Autodesk, which I couldn't use because it was too hard. But I tell you, you can start buying one of these tomorrow. Pick at it, all right? Uh, don't buy all at once. Why these? Because they all just reported great quarters or have been on a roll, yet their stocks are getting crushed as if they're doing poorly. We aren't guessing with these. We know the last data points are positive. So that is the best place to go. We combine the data points with the decline in stock, and we come up with these. And I think that they're pretty terrific, maybe even magnificent, so to speak. For the rest of tech, though, you need to be patient. As I've been telling you since last, last week, I don't want you to be a hero. Let me give you an example. Last night, Mario from Staten Island called in about Zora, Z-U-O-R-A, and they're speaking today and apparently did a great job. Zora is a terrific software company that helps other businesses take advantage of the subscription economy. I love this story. Zora's stock has come down 53% since its high in June. You know what? I do think even though it went down like that, it may be too soon to start buying this. And I realize that may sound stupid because I did love Zora. I liked Zora at a higher level this summer. The thing is, we're now in a very different environment. And with a sell-off like this one, you typically want to wait for the fourth day before you buy. That's right, four days to sell. That's what my work has shown. Before you buy the supercharged junior growth stocks like this one. And even then, you know, you got to leg into it gradually. I can't countenance putting you in a house of pain right now. But what's important that you know is on that fourth day, you're going to start hearing better things. And most important, Zora is a great long-term story. So when the sell-off has run its course, I think you'll be fine. I'm not abandoning Zora. I'm just saying that what bounces first will be one of these, if not all of them. All have catalysts, too. At the end of the day, there's simply no rush to buy most of the tech stocks. A lot of other areas to buy. These companies don't start reporting for another couple of weeks. So unless the market rebounds pretty dramatically, unlikely, you can afford, well, I don't know. Let's see if it goes down again. You can afford to take your time here. There's no reason to rush and every reason to wait because fast-growing tech names don't have much in the way of protection. They have no dividends uh, that eventually, of course, become attractive as the stock goes down. They typically have no buybacks. And these need to be fall a long way before anyone would consider them to be cheap on an earnings per share basis. However, there's good news. Tech stocks do get less expensive as they go lower if there are quality ones with good balances. It's just that some of these may not be done falling, but I countenance buying now after today. The bottom line, the tech breakdown has been agonizing. May not be full more over, but for the higher quality names like Autodesk, IDEX, Amazon, Take-Two, Intuitive Surgical, Expedia, Intuit, I say nibble right into the weakness. Buy some tomorrow morning. Just please don't put all your cash to work at once because we don't know if the pain is actually over. Let's go to Max in Illinois. Max. 
Mr. Kramer, chili booyah to ya. Yes, man. Good to have you on the on the line, Max. What's going on? Got a question. My stock is M A A T Applied Materials, and I want to find out if the pain in the stock is over and is due to general market correction. Or long-term fundamentals for the company have changed. Well, those okay. Those are two. Gary Dickerson does a great job. And what's happened is that there's an inventory backup in semis, and so therefore there's been pushouts. Uh, uh, they have very, very big lead times. Uh, Gary was very honest about how short-term business is not as good as it was. The stock's down 35%. If you bought the stock at 32 and you looked at it 18 months now, I think you'll be fine. But right now, the stock is for sale, and now we're in tax loss territory. It's down 35% for the year. How about we go to Stu in Connecticut? Stu. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, you're welcome, What's Stu. your take on TE Connectivity, sticker symbol TEL? Oh, we like that. We think it's a good little stock, and it's down so much. Yields 14 times earnings, down 17%. It's, a, it's just a typical electronic component company that has a lot of different diverse businesses, and it's kind of an industrial tech name, and I think it's very good. All right, guys, look, I, you have to start buying something because we're too oversold and we're down too far. I selected these names. We've done a lot of work on all of them on the show repeatedly. You can check the archives. We've liked every single one of them over and over and over. Much more mad money. The Dow's down over 1,300 points over the past two days. I know you got some questions. So we're just going to blow out some time. I'm here to help, Kay America. Call me or tweet me. Then this market may reek, but are there still some buying opportunities ahead? I'm sitting down with a company whose stock I bought after the crash in 87 because I was that confident that the numbers would be there. And 20, hey, 30 years later, they still are. Stay with Kramer. What a hideous day. Down. Dallas down, 699. It's low. Oh, closing not too far from there. I did a minute-by-minute minute, uh, take on it, by the way, on Twitter today. Uh, it puts it down uh, 1,378 points over the past two days. It's agonizing. Many of you probably feel scared. I, I sure don't want you to panic. Together, we came up with a plan of attack. That's what we're going to do right now. Uh, you know, I got your back. Good times are bad. We've been around for a long time. Why don't we take some phone calls? Why don't we go to Sarah in Florida? Sarah. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm pretty good, Sarah. How are you doing? Good. I've got most of my future down payment for a home in the stock market right now. I'm down about 20 percent and anticipating needing the money in about a year. Should I pull my money out now and cut my losses or Jeez. ride this downturn out? You know, this is actually just, you know, it's a pure portfolio management question. If you need it within a year, uh, it, that is a, that you got to take some out, uh, even though I don't like to, you know, I think you'll get a better day tomorrow, take some out. But uh, that's a short period of time. And, and I can't have you just give back too much money if you're going to need it a year from now. If it was five years, I would tell you, you can take a little bit out. But a year, you have to take something off because it's uh, just not enough time to make it back if things go bad. I don't think they will, but that's the way portfolio management goes. Let's go to Roman in Illinois, please. Roman. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. It's a real honor to speak with you. Quite welcome. I just took uh, 40 years accumulated equity account and went all cash on October 3rd. I guess I used up my market dodge one perfect trade a lifetime token. Now, I did this because I thought the market always goes down on uncertainty and there's an election coming up where it's unclear if the political climate will continue to be pro-business or not. Right. Either way, I think the market is forward-looking, so we'll price this in sometime before election day. But unfortunately, it always happens after hours or on the weekend. Okay. Well, now I need help getting in, Jim. 
Well, I, I'll tell you, Roman, there's a way to do it. I talk about this all the time to club members of ActionLearnersPlus.com. You don't do anything big. I mean, look, I, I've been waiting. I like at the end of the year, I, put, I like to put money to work for my kids, you know, just a trust, and they do S&P. And, you know, I put some of it to work uh, here. Uh, why? Because I didn't want to wait to the end of the year in case the market suddenly had a snapback, say the president saw something with China or the Fed saw the light of day. So I think you do things small. That's what I did. I did about, about a little between an eighth, maybe a little bit more than an eighth of the money that I would normally invest at year end. I put that in. And if it goes down again tomorrow, you know what? I'm going to put some more in. I think you should join me. I think that's the way you have to approach it. If you have cash. And that's for my kids, and it's S&P. I can't buy any stocks for anybody, okay? Chris in Massachusetts. Chris. Kim, a big Boston booyah. Hey, congratulations. Um, congratulations, uh, booyah. I am 32 years old. I watch every day. I love the show. I love what you do for everybody. 32. Man, I had okay. a good time. Well, that's a cyber point. Yeah, go ahead. So I was heavy into tech, Cloud Kings, FinTech, especially PayPal and Square. I took profit. I sold most of it. I'm now considering going into old consumer staples, P&G, Colgate, Heinz, Pepsi. Is that too conservative for I my thought about age the right same now? thing. Uh, you know what? It's very funny. Uh, I, I thought about the same thing, Chris. I was looking at Procter. I said, oh, geez, Nelson Peltz is in there. And then I hit it up. And you know what? It's only yielding three and a half. That's not what I want. I thought about Clorox. I love Ben Odor so much. But it's only yield 2.7. It doesn't have great growth. I think about the stocks that you left, and I'd rather have you start building up one of those. By the way, we had Starwood Properties on last night that Barry Sterling. That yields nine. I did a lot of work on it again last night. I like that. But no, I'm not going to push hard on the consumer staples because they don't have the growth that I like. So I think you start buying back some of your favorite techs that you take a longer-term view on. And if you do want to buy one of those classic growth stocks, I'd buy a drug company. Not a consumer products company. Other than Cheese Whiz, does anybody use anything that Kraft Heinz makes anymore? And by the way, that Cheese Whiz reference to how much I love Geno's. I love those guys. South Philly, ninth and past junk. Alex in Ca- past junk. Alex in California. Alex. How you doing, Mr. Kramer? I couldn't be better. How about you, Alex? I'm fantastic. So with all the craziness in the market over the past couple weeks, I wanted to shed some light with all of my fellow investors. We are currently in a bull, mar- bull market trend channel on a log scale going back to 1932. Elliott wave theory implies that from 1932 to 2000, there was a five wave up, and from 2000 to 2009 was the ABC flat correction. Okay. Now the move from 2009 to this year's high that we hit was wave one, and I believe we are experiencing wave two. That should All take right. us down, depending on retracement levels, either 2000, 1800, or 1500 before the start of the third wave. What okay. are your thoughts? Okay, uh, here's what I think about that. I do not use that wave analysis. But what I do is I've always said the same thing. If someone is comfortable with a strategy, it may not be my strategy, but if they're comfortable with it and they think it's working, then if they do the homework, I bless it. I am not one of those people who is dogmatic and says, you know what, your way is no good. you got to do it my way. If that makes it comfortable for you to be able to make choice investments, then I salute you. Not my strategy, not my style, but whatever works for you is best. All right, you know, look, we, how many years have we already gotten through this thing? We're going to do it again, right? A panic, by the way, not a strategy. After Mad Tonight, I'm going to be on with my buddies Carl Quintanilla and Sarah Eisen for special coverage of this market. Yeah, we're putting the trucks out front. No, we're not. We're trying to come up with some ideas about how to make money. It's not just panic. It's profit. Don't miss it at 7. Stick with Kramer.
Okay, on a day when the Dow is down nearly 700 points at its lowest, what could actually work in this hideous environment? You might want to circle back to companies like International Flavors and Fragrances as we keep heading lower. IFF invents proprietary scents and tastes for all sorts of consumer packaged goods, everything from personal care products to household cleaning products, food and beverages. I'm sure you've smelled their stuff and you've tasted it. It's like an arms dealer for the soft goods industry. Now, last May, IFF CEO Andreas Fibbett came on this show. He made a bold prediction. His company had just announced a major $7.1 billion acquisition of Fruiterum, and the market hated it. But Fibic told us that Wall Street would come around. And sure enough, that's exactly what has happened before this epic market meltdown. So could IFF be worth picking into this weakness? Let's check back with Andreas. He's the chairman and CEO of IFF to get a better sense of where the company's headed. Andreas, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yep, you did say, look, we're going to have to do an equity offering, which is amazing. Most people say, oh, well, I don't want to talk about it. And that it would mark a great level. And if the stock came down, and you also said that it would probably end up being priced above could there be so much demand, which is exactly what happened. And then it went up. So it's obvious to me that Wall Street has really warmed up to this deal well before it actually closed. Yeah. No, absolutely. And we have closed on record time. We said in May six to nine months we were ahead of time. We are very happy about it because it gives us a head start to integrate the business. I think the cross-selling. You've got to explain that to people because, to me, it's marvelous. It really is such a natural. Yeah. What is fantastic is that right now we have the largest and broadest customer base in our industry, and we have more than 30,000 customers. No one else has it. And we are starting to take their natural solutions, like natural colors or like their uh, antioxidants, to sell them into our customer base and taking our technology, which we have shown to some of their managers already, to sell into their customer base. We actually believe that's the greatest value driver for us going forward. Well, you're one of the few people I know who recognizes that perhaps the old consumer packaged goods customers, they're good customers. Not saying that. Yeah, sure. But they don't have the growth that these newer, littler companies, small, medium size, that can be the next big ones. Yeah. And that, that Fruit of Rum has just a huge amount of those. This would be natural for your regular business and for Fruit of Rum. 70% of their customers are basically small, local, and regional customers. The That's hot area. Helpful. It's very helpful. And when you have that kind of company, I mean, what I believe is that it's, you have taught me that tastes are regional. So if you have a regional food company, then you've got a natural audience. Maybe they can even take those tastes to another place, but that's what you need to be in besides just the gigantic companies we all know. It's super helpful for us and, and for our business. And you have seen probably in the last couple of quarters, and in particular, the local and regional customers had a very good performance yes. for us. Now, uh, I was concerned raw material costs hitting you, too. Can they possibly stabilize at some point? We all seem to think that they can just do nothing but go straight up. Yeah. What we have seen, unfortunately, in our industry, that uh, even next year we expect some raw material increases. You do? Even, yeah, because, you don't think it peaks? Uh, it depends. You have uh, areas like vanilla, where we actually believe it might even go down a little okay. bit, but other areas are going up. And in our supply chain, so some of our suppliers, out of India and China, they had some issues as well, and we have to manage it. China's the, okay. They're not. China's okay. The good news is that at least we can deliver all the products to our customers. Right. Some of our competitors can't. Okay, can you tell me how you can manufacture a natural color? <laughs> it, it, it all depends on your raw material and on okay. your ingredient, and that's how you do it. And if you select the right ones, then it becomes a real good natural color. Next time when you're in one of our facilities, I really will show you how we can do it. Well, I wanted to ask you, you have 110 facilities. Do, uh, candidly, do you need all of them now that you've made this merger? Yeah. We actually, we look at growth at our, uh, at the merger. Okay. We look how we can gross our, our top line. Certainly, we will look what can we do with all of our facilities, but it's all about profitable growth. It's not just about 
cost cutting. Okay, there was another thing that confused me about food rum. What does it mean to be in the meat business? Do meat, isn't yeah. meat just a cow? No. Look, what they have, for example, they have a lot of interesting seasonings. Oh, you mean like for, beef jerky or something? For beef, yeah, absolutely. And we have now even a little bit of a B2C brand in Europe. I did actually the day one celebration out of Salzburg. It's a big hub in, in Austria. And that's, uh, that's where this brand, Wieberg, is, uh, is, is located. It's like white first and bratwurst? Yeah, we have some of these things where we can make them really nice and the taste is unbelievable. Okay, uh, anti-aging and, and anti-wrinkle? Yeah, that's more for the, uh, for the cosmetic for me, for piece. Me. Oh, I thought, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. sorry. I mean, that's a good business. It's a very good business. It's actually one of our fastest growing businesses. And you remember three years ago, we uh, bought a, a French-Canadian company, Lucas Myers. Yeah, that was very smart. And yeah. it's, it's growing every single quarter, double digit, and we're very happy with the business. You referenced in your uh, conference call last a Fifth Avenue store. Now, I'm not asking you to name yeah. it, but, you said, but just talk to us, tell people about what you see going on there so people understand really what is some of the nitty-gritty of what you do. If, if you look at, at, at fragrances, for example, that's what you might see in, in, in a Fifth Avenue, is much more focused towards the more premium fragrances, okay. the artisan fragrances, and that's something where we try to focus now our attention as well, and all more naturals, natural rose essence, for example, and we have great facilities to manufacture exactly that. All right, one of the we talk about market volatility. One yeah. of the stocks I bought after the crash in 1987 was IFF. Mm -hmm. And I bought it because you had mids to high single-digit growth. And I couldn't find any company if we were going to recession that would be able to do that. Here we are again, yeah. right? We got market volatility. You're still able to do that kind of growth, and it really isn't dependent on all the economy. No, we, we, we believe we can we can do it. Five to seven, that's our, our mid to long-term long -term guidance. And... Uh, we are very bullish that this, this can be done. Well, it's certainly reasonable because your more than 100-year history would indicate that it can yeah. be done. <laughs> Thank you so much to Andreas Fippig. He's the chairman and CEO of IFF, International Flavors Affairs, a company that I started buying for clients when I was at Goldman in 1984. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! It's over the Labor Control! What's that? And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready? Ski dance over the lightning round. Clears around. We start with Joseph in Pennsylvania. Joseph. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, hey, Chief. Question: Verizon Communications VZ. You know, I like it. Actually, I'm warming up to ATT today after Michael Mason said you got to do some more homework. But Verizon is fine with me. Bye, bye, bye. Let's go to Chris in Kansas. Chris. OGS, one gas. It's not bad. I have a good regulated natural gas utility. Never mind those. Uh, I also like Dominion, by the way, and I like uh, American Electric Power. Let's go to Debbie in Nevada. Debbie. Hi. Hi, Jim. Debbie. How are you? I am good. How about you? Pretty good. My question is, uh, I just purchased CVS. CV with a Victor, right. and Victor. And I'd like to know if it's a good... Did I yeah, you know, this thing went down. Good... Uh, I, I, this, I was surprised, you know, the, C, the CFO left. And, you know, I, I'm just going to say it right here. I think you should buy CVS. I, I worked on it. I think you should buy CVS. And Walgreens was fine. Let's go to Mark in Ohio. Mark. Mark? I'm Big Booyah to you from Ohio. No, hey, I love like that. Your... What's up? 
I would like your take on a uh, blue-collar stock, Arconic, ARN. Oh, the old, the predecessor to Alcoa. Okay, here's the problem. It's a 21. If they don't get a buy, if they don't get a buyer, the stock goes to 17. If they do get a buyer, I read a nice piece of merchandise to go to 23. So it's three up, three down. For me, that means don't buy. Don't Let's buy. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. on Vodafone. Yeah, you know what? This thing has been such a lagger, and every time that the yield goes down more and more, I mean, the stock goes down more and more, yield gets bigger, and now I'm starting to raise the red, red flag. There's something wrong there. Oh, it's going to fill in Massachusetts. Phil! How's it going? Hey, Phil. Hey, so thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my question is regarding Optinos, OPTN. I do not like the specialty pharmacy companies. I've been, been off them for three years. I'm not going there now. Uh, oh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I'll keep saying this until somebody at the Federal Reserve gets the message. The economy can take care of itself. It can whip inflation on its own. Thank you, President Ford, for that nugget. But you have to give it a chance. How would inflation take care of itself? Look, I'm not some kind of laissez-faire zealot, far from it. However, on some level, markets are self-regulating. Hey, this stuff is basic economics 101. Look at oil, a principal cause of all sorts of inflation, as we keep hearing on conference call after conference call, including from Delta today. The price of crude is now coming down because ec- economies around the world are slowing. It is that easy. Now, we know emerging markets aren't doing well. Hey, they burn a ton of oil. We don't like how much the Russians are pumping. They should do more. But interestingly, the Saudis have acceded to the president's wishes and are making up the mandated shortfall from the Iranian sanctions. Now, we aren't drilling as much as we should. And we do have a supply problem because Venezuela is pathetic. Nigeria always seems broke. Libya is a failed state. And Iraq's infrastructure remains behind the times. Mexico will be drilling more. They've got huge reserves. But it doesn't seem to have any money. We have massive quantities of oil that can't, we can't use in the Permian Basin in Texas because we don't have enough pipelines to take it to market. At the end of the day, though, oil is already self-correcting. Fed doesn't need to lift a finger. Next, we've got a very cool consumer price index number today, which serves as a reminder that there are offsetting forces to the tariffs and the labor shortages. By the way, it's deeply unsettling that the Fed's talking about overshooting to stop inflation when the CPI only increased by 0.1% last month. I'm calling that quizzical. I do think that retailers will have to eat some of the cost of the president's tariffs. They won't all be passed on the consumer, but that's bullish for the consumer and a welcome antidote to inflation, even as it stinks for the retail stocks. What else? Think about what's happening in the residential housing market. Last night, we heard from Barry Stern, like the CEO of Starwood Property Trust. He's talking about a peak in high-end real estate where the real inflation has been. That's where I don't like it. Why? Well, rising mortgage rates are working, and remember, they're 5% now, and the lack of affordability, that's cooling overheated markets like San Francisco, Miami, New York, and the lack of new money coming in from wealthy Chinese and Russian buyers, that's also cooling the high end. Some parts of the country are okay, reasonable, but the high end's coming down fast. Now, how about small, medium-sized businesses, which are the backbone of the economy, as you always hear? Now, there's a very limited point of view that says wages need to go up because of the labor shortage. But I think the shortage could be temporary because interest rates have gone up, too, which means it's no longer economical for many of these small businesses to expand to do more hiring. Digitization, artificial intelligence, machine learning, they're all working to keep wages lower, more tame than you expect. It will take time for the demand for labor to taper off, just like it will take time to sort out the supply chain and the truck driver issues. But believe me, it will happen, and you don't need to accelerate it, as President Trump acknowledged when he said, they're nuts, they're nuts, or something like that. 
You don't want to wake up and find out that there are more than 89,000 people laid off, which could be what happens if Sears and Kmart close their doors on Monday. Sadly, that's capitalism taking care of itself. We do have a stronger dollar, which holds down inflation. That matters. It's the magic elixir that's so rarely considered, although Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, understands it because he taught me. Most important is the deflationary input that's plain as the nose on your face, the markets themselves. First, bonds, the yield on the 10-year, well, that stopped going up. Anyone else notice? What happens if the long-term interest rates have peaked? It's possible, given the softness I'm seeing here. Then, of course, there's the stock market, which is getting crushed, with the most popular stocks going down the hardest. More than 75% of the S&P is in correction mode, or worse, for heaven's sake. Part of the strength of this economy is based on the strength of the stock market. It has a tremendous wealth effect, which allows people to spend more. You wipe out a big chunk of that wealth, you're going to see less spending and thus less inflation. In short, I am saying this sell-off can be self-fulfilling. Homes down in value, stocks down in value, nest egg down in value. All these things are deflationary, which is why I say the Fed doesn't need to overshoot to put a stop to inflation because the problem's already starting to take care of itself. It doesn't need much more help from the Fed to be tame again. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss what's next. I'm joining Carl Quintanilla and Sarah Eisen for a special CNBC report. Remember, I am seeing an oversold market and gave you some tech stocks that are hugely oversold. Pick one, nibble. Like to say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At Fidelity, online U.S. stock and ETF trades are commission-free. $0 commission for online retail Fidelity account U.S. equity and ETF trades. Sell order assessment fee in some account types and securities excluded. See Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC.